0: You are entering the Freedom Hut.
1: Was it spying or was it just clandestine surveillance for political ends that the FBI engaged in, perhaps with some other government folks, when it came to the Trump campaign? We have the current FBI director weighing in on that, plus... Will they impeach or not? Do the Democrats even know their own mind on the issue? We've also got Gordon Chang joining us to talk about China trade and Lila Rose from Live Action on a pro-life movement that you might want to hear about, folks. That and more coming up. Buck Sexton.
0: Commission. Decoding the news. And disseminating information with actionable intelligence. Russia. One all thing. Make. Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show.
2: Former CIA analyst. Former
0: member of NYPD. I think I can speak for
2: three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is
0: Buck Sexton. Now. A couple things going on. First, there is, of course, the uh, ongoing Inspector General's investigation uh, that's being conducted by the Independent uh, Office of Inspector General, uh, and our folks are, are uh, assisting them with their effort. Uh, And then second, as you alluded to, uh, now that the special counsel investigation is completed uh, and having only recently returned to the department, the attorney general is seeking to understand better the circumstances uh, at the department and the FBI relating to how this investigation uh, started. And we're working to help him uh, get that understanding. I think that's part of his job and, and part of mine.
1: Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. That's a long answer from FBI Director Ray about are we going to find out if there was spying or not? Surveillance, as I'm now fond of saying, is really just a fancy French word for spying. Surveillance, surveillance, right? To watch, usually in clandestine fashion, to gather information on. Uh, I, I could tell you that. When when you fly a plane over enemy territory to see all their stuff, you can call it a surveillance plane. You could also call it a spy plane. Both are both are correct. Uh, and this this fight over words, which, as I tell you, Democrats love to try and dictate the words that we can use as a means of assisting their side in the battle of ideas before we can even mount our own defense. The insistence on not using the term spying is very, uh, very indicative of where their minds are on all this stuff. They're worried, folks. They're worried. They should be worried because it gets very hard to explain spying on a presidential campaign by the top figures of the Obama administration national security apparatus when your justification for it is uh, a rumor that George Papadopoulos passed on to some foreigner over drinks and Carter Page. It really is hard to believe, isn't it? In fact, I don't believe it when I say it's hard to believe. I mean, I, I think it is incred—it is incredible as in not possible to be believed. I am incredulous about the story. I don't think that we haven't told the truth yet about how this whole thing got going. The Russia collusion conspiracy theory was not born of some innocent investigative work from the FBI looking into George Papadopoulos and Carter Page. Someone somewhere in a position of considerable power and an Obama administration appointee almost certainly made the call, made a decision to do this. And now the country has had to suffer the consequences of it for over two years years I, I just I, I think it's interesting that Christopher Ray as the FBI director of course he's going to defend the institution at some level this is a terrible situation for the FBI this is a terrible situation for public confidence in the ability of the premier federal law enforcement agency in the country to avoid entangling itself in our politics this looks really bad folks but you know I would just say that If they're going to try to play these word games, then I want to I want to make sure the left agrees that the FBI back in the 60s wasn't spying on Martin Luther King Jr. Oh, no, no, no. Of course not. The FBI was just engaged in unconstitutional surveillance based on shaky counterintelligence premises and were willing to deploy human assets to influence events for political outcomes. It wasn't spying, though. You see, it was just unconstitutional counterintelligence surveillance, also known as spying. In fact, uh, COINTELPRO, um, which you can read about anywhere on the Internet, was written about here in NPR when they're talking about this uh, history of the FBI spying on Martin Luther King Jr. as... A history of domestic spying. So just because the FBI does it doesn't mean it's not spying, especially when it is in the realm of counterintelligence and not traditional criminal law enforcement. All right. The the word is spying and they should have to. uh, Now, some spying is good. I worked for a spy agency. Spying on Al Qaeda is a good thing. I, I, I take pride in spying on Al Qaeda. I mean, I don't do it anymore, but. Now, that was something that I thought was a, a great patriotic and even pro-civilization, pro-humanity duty. I would never shy away from spying on Al-Qaeda. So if there was a real threat, why, you know, if the, if these FBI guys and who, who knows who else that were talking to Papadopoulos and Carter Page, if it was reasonable even for them to think that there was a threat, why would they shy away from the term spying so much? They should be proud to have spied on the Trump administration if that's what they did. But we know they aren't. And isn't that instructive? Isn't that something of a red flag, you could say? And, And then some. This is where you also have Clapper, James Clapper, who has been at the heart of so much of this and has done what I would Uh, argue is a really multi-generational damage meaning that for generations to come people will have questions about the lack of political gamesmanship at the cia director of national intelligence the fbi Uh, clapper has been a part of dramatically damaging the reputations of these agencies and i know from my friends who there are trump deranged people all over the federal government you have to remember that whenever you have The Washington Post or one of these papers that says, well, you know, we've spoken to sources inside the building and they tell you what their snapshot is. They will never tell you that there are patriotic conservative types who think that what's been done to the president is horrible. And I know people at Langley, at FBI headquarters that fall into that category. But what they will tell you is that there are people who are still deeply outraged at Trump think that Trump remember we used to hear this Trump was at war with the intel community they used to say that the president of states was at war with his employees because that is what the members of the intelligence community are they are Trump's employees Clapper clearly didn't think of them that way though Clapper thought he had a a higher purpose wasn't that was that the James Comey book did I just do that by accident I'm so smooth that was slick let's be honest clip five here
3: using undercover uh, agents is a uh, standard and legitimate technique that is widely used in, in investigations. So I'm sure I mean, there are protocols and standard standards for using a an, an agent. And I'm sure that's the case here. So you're saying this was not done lightly. Well, no, it's never done lightly. Uh, was it sure? It was it spying? Either. Well, it, Yeah, I guess it meets the dictionary definition of of surveillance or spying, a term I don't particularly like. It's not a term of art used by uh, intelligence people. It has a negative connotation of a a rogue operation, out of control, uh, not in compliance with the law, and that's not the case at all.
1: He doesn't know if that's not the case at all. Let's start with that. And I do appreciate that he's at least willing to admit that, yeah, from a definitional standpoint, it was spying. They were spying on the Trump campaign, knowing that it was people tied to the Trump campaign trying to use the surveillance, fancy French word for spying, uh, of people tied to Donald Trump to get access to information about much higher up people. Remember, it wasn't just Carter Page and Papadopoulos. They were very interested in Manafort early on, very interested in General Flynn and there's some interesting wording in the. In, I was going to say the dossier in the report, the Mueller report about the investigation into Flynn. How thorough was that? How long back did that? How far back did that go? It seemed like Flynn was on the radar of the authorities, perhaps even before the completely pretextual and bad faith Logan Act violation meeting came up. I mean, Sally Yates set General Flynn up. That is what she did. These are not good people. These are not people that were acting with the best interests of their fellow national security professionals or the United States when they did this. This was petty. It was spiteful. Sally Yates is a spiteful person. All right. That's why she also refused to take orders from the president and also refused to resign, made him fire her because she was hashtag resistance people are a disgrace to the offices they held clapper and yates and comey a disgrace Uh, but notice how with clapper here he says meets the dictionary definition of spying Uh, but he doesn't like the connotations about how it's a rogue operation out of control he also i I don't know if he's talking to monsieur don lemon don lemon i prefer the french don lemon but when he was talking to him there, we just take it as, as a given. Or he takes it as a given. Clapper. That this was all on the up and up. That there was nothing about this that should have raised an eyebrow. Why would anyone think that is the case, given what we've seen so far? I mean, they briefed the president. Just take this one example. James Comey, as the FBI director, briefed the president of the United States on this dossier And did not tell him, nor did anyone in the intelligence community think it was necessary for anyone to know in the public that the dossier was a compilation of foreign-assembled, paid-for-by-the-Hillary campaign lies. Don't you think that would have affected the perception of how much veracity anybody could possibly think was in this? Don't you think that if President, if someone handed President Trump a piece of paper like this and said, hey, I'm the FBI director, you should just know that the Hillary campaign is spreading this stuff about you, you'd say, yeah, it's a bunch of lies. It's a bunch of crazy nonsense. Why, why, why James Comey, are you showing this to me? Uh, oh, and that's right, CNN ends up reporting on it within hours. We're supposed to believe that's a coincidence, just like CNN being the only journalistic outfit That happened to be in place for the Roger Stone arrest, the circus arrest of, uh, you know, geriatric sartorial icon Roger Stone with dozens of guys heavily armed. I will tell you, I spoke to some DOJ sources and I I read them the riot act over that one. And they said, oh, well, it was within the bounds of what we could. I said, no, 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 no. Don't pull that. It was within the bounds nonsense with me. No, I don't want to hear that stuff, guys. We all know what that was. We all know what Mueller's team was engaged in there. Let's let's not let's not talk to Buck like he's a dum dum, okay? And they, I, I had sometimes I get a little testy with some of my my sources in this town. I have to. I did not like that. Well, it was within our, it was within the discretion of the Mueller team to no 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 no. That should have raised more than eyebrows. That should have raised hackles. People should have been ticked off. They could have called Roger Stone and said, oh. Show up, turn yourself in. Everyone knows he would have done it. He's not going to flee. He's not going to flee and leave all of his finely tailored suits behind. Nonsense. But CNN just happened to be there. CNN that also happens to have a number of former senior FBI, uh, you know, administrative assistants to James Comey on the payroll just happened to be there. No other, no local journalism. No, no other networks. Just CNN. I mean, I know they, they say they just got lucky. It was just good journalism after all the other good journalism CNN's done on this issue. Oh, man, they, they, really, they really push the limits, don't they? Uh, this was spying. I worked for a spy agency. What was done to the Trump campaign was spying. It was done by senior members of the national security apparatus appointed by and under the orders of, at least in general, the Obama administration and President Obama. These were Obama employees, folks. That is a fact. James Clapper, Comey, these are employees in the executive branch of President Barack Obama who spied on a presidential campaign based on a delusion, one that should have been shut down before it even got started. And instead, they did everything they could, and we know this from the page struck text at the FBI, everything they could to breathe more life into it to leak to the press, to collude with the anti-Trump mainstream media. That was what they chose to do. And now they're desperately trying to uh, cover it up on the one hand and attack Trump for obstruction on the other. I'm sorry. No, we've we've seen enough of their games. We know what they're up to. It's not going to work. Not on my watch, not here in the Freedom Hut. We'll be right back.
0: Well, that's not the term I would use. Look, there are lots of people have different colloquial phrases. I believe that the FBI is engaged in investigative activity, and part of investigative activity includes surveillance activity of different shapes and sizes. And to me, the key question is making sure that it's done by the book.
4: And at this time, do you have any evidence that any illegal surveillance into the campaigns or individuals associated with the campaigns by the FBI occurred?
0: Uh, I don't think I personally have any evidence of that sort.
1: Ah, back to the spying debate here. That's FBI director Christopher Wray, who was showing us who he is today. And it doesn't surprise me at all. He's an institutionalist. He's somebody who's, been in government, been in these roles for a very long time, comes from within the Bureau, and is going to protect the Bureau because this is, from the perspective of public trust, an existential crisis for the FBI in the making. What happens when the American people find out, as we will, that the FBI can very easily, and perhaps even within their regulations and within the law, quite easily and legally spy on a presidential campaign. Is that supposed to make us feel better? Should we feel better about the FBI? If in fact, like a bunch of imbeciles, they believed some internet conspiracy theories that were circling around during the election and thought that it was a worthwhile usage of resources to send an agent to go talk to or send someone acting on behalf of the FBI to go talk to Papadopoulos, open up a FISA And get it renewed three times on Carter Page? Uh, I think they should be careful what they wish for here. It would be better for the reputation of the FBI. And it would be better for public confidence in the FBI. If, in fact, the Inspector General report were to find that there was a rogue actor. That, you know, Comey really was like, you know, agent number one running around doing all this stuff. And lying and falsifying documents. And that would, because you can root that out. But if the law currently is so lax and if the FBI has so little oversight that they can show up to a FISA court, be like, yeah, we got this like pile of crap that we haven't actually verified at all. It's called We'll call it a dossier. And, uh, you know, there's an American citizen. We want to pull all of his communications for the next few months. And uh, we don't know that he's committed a crime or we have no reason to believe he has committed any crime, actually. But. This paper, uh, this was handed to me by an opposition researcher during a presidential campaign, so I figure we'll just use this and we'll go from there. That's appalling. That's even worse. What this really means, what Christopher Way is telling you is, yeah, maybe it was all by the book, and in this case, the book means that the Fourth Amendment doesn't count anymore. It means that people who are unscrupulous can abuse their authority in the government to open up spying, because that's what it was, on the political opposition, on conservatives, on Republicans, on Trump. That's even worse than a rogue actor. For a few weeks now, I've been reminding you that Mother's Day is fast approaching. Now it's just days away. So 1-800-Flowers is here to pick out a gorgeous bouquet for you that'll show her she's loved. 1-800-Flowers still has amazing offers on beautiful Mother's Day bouquets and arrangements starting at $29.99. Now that's an offer that mom would approve of. There's still time to have your bouquet delivered on Mother's Day, but you've got to get moving. With an amazing selection of sweets, treats, and bouquets, 1-800-Flowers has everything you need for Mother's Day and she'll never guess how great of a last-minute deal you scored. Mother's Day bouquets and arrangements starting at $29.99 is an amazing offer, but you have to order today. Trust 1-800-Flowers to make mom feel loved. Order today from 1-800-Flowers.com. To order beautiful and vibrant Mother's Day bouquets starting at $29.99, go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash buck. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash buck. Mother's Day is Sunday, so order today and save at one 800 flowers com slash buck
0: He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops.
5: Did you have a problem with the way Comey handled the Clinton email
4: investigation? Yes, I said so at the time. Okay, so... Given the fact that a lot of people Comey should be fired, did you find that to be a persuasive act of obstructing justice? Uh, no, uh, I, I think even the
2: report, at the end of the day, came to the conclusion. If you if you read the analysis, that uh, the, the, a reason that loomed large there for his termination was his refusal to tell the public what he was privately telling the president, which was that the president was not under investigation.
1: Why wouldn't Comey tell the public that? Isn't there an important, isn't there a compelling interest in not having that cloud over the commander-in-chief? You have to remember that for the anti-Trump forces in this country, in the media, in the government, Democratic Party, they think anything that justifies taking away the ability to operate freely when it comes to Trump, uh, anything is justified. They're fine with it. Whatever it is they have to do so that Trump can't really be the president, they think is a good thing. They think that they have a right to make sure that that is the case. And uh, Comey was playing games. He's playing games all along. The whole standing up and reading that statement about Hillary in the emails... And that just reminds me, uh, the gall, the chutzpah on some of these analysts and pundits and news people who are now running around holding up this this letter written by hundreds of former federal prosecutors who who have all signed their names to this, 450 former federal prosecutors um, who have said that there should have been obstruction charges. Uh, would have been obstruction charges if not for the fact that Trump is president of the United States. Uh, I, I think it's fascinating that these people think that we're supposed to care. I don't give a. I don't give a. A what? I don't give a. You know what? About what a bunch of lawyers who, by the way, no offense to the lawyers listening, tend to be Democrats. Right? American Bar Association, is basically a wing of the DNC. Uh, A lot of lawyers are Democrats. A lot of prosecutors in particular are Democrats, especially in the bluer parts of the country. And I I don't much care what they think about this. I also want to know what their response, if we're going to go down this pathway, what their response would be to the fact that Mueller himself did not take the position that they are asserting. Are they saying that Mueller was scared? Was Mueller somehow unwilling to speak the truth on this issue? Was was St. Mueller the great anointed destroyer of the Trump administration. Whoops. Didn't manage to pull it off. Did he? Did St. Mueller get cold feet? He very well could have written in that 400 plus page report. We found enough evidence to bring charges, but we know the OLC guidance from the department of justice states that you cannot bring charges against a sitting president. So therefore we leave this to the American people and to Congress to handle as they see fit. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. Uh, I think in part because here's the the most persuasive anti-obstruction charge argument that I know of. Trump didn't obstruct anything. I would also like to know what these prosecutors who signed this letter that all the media was all excited about. It was posted Monday afternoon, including Bill Weld, who is running against Trump. Oh, well, he must be really objective. He's a a former U.S. attorney in the Reagan administration who's running against Trump for the Republican nomination. Hmm. Yeah, he's a uh, he's a guy that you can look to to be totally honest and fair minded in this whole process. Uh, You know, this is just a this is just a a PR and a propaganda exercise. Uh, These are people who obviously don't like the president. And they think that because they've worked in government in some capacity as prosecutors, that their judgment is now beyond partisanship and that's just that's just silly no reasonable person would think that that's what's going on here it, it's it's not uh it shouldn't be their expectation that in a country of 320 or so million people because a few hundred people that happen to have law degrees and had worked in in government prosecution uh think that there would have been obstruction charges here that well, what does that, what does that mean so, do we have the evidence now to bring those charges? Because Mueller didn't. Is there new evidence? No, there's not. This is it's, There's a level of this is kind of sad. And I, I know that that's not the way you usually hear this discussed. But there were all these uh, stories toward the end of the Mueller probe about how there were people who were worried that they would... Older people were worried they would die before seeing justice and the Mueller probe could be released and finally set things right in the land. You know, this is almost like it's the end of a Shakespearean drama. It's like the end of Hamlet where the last act on stage is to set things, you know, set things right going forward, set things right into the future after all the tragedy and loss. This isn't a stage drama. This This is real life. And there are much more... There should be much more important things to really everybody in america especially if they're in their last days then whether or not the muller report has come out this was a mass hysteria this was uh, along the lines of another mass hysteria that is getting some attention now that i I won't have the time to go into today but it's that we're in the midst of a of a massive species die-off and that if we don't do something soon this is an assessment uh some report that just came out that's that said that humans are having a quote unprecedented and devastating effect on global biodiversity with about a million animal and plant species threatened with extinction you know what they don't really get into in the report is that 99.9 percent of all species that have ever existed are extinct extinction for species over time and the different processes of new species coming uh, coming to light i mean th- this is the way it's always been but they want you to think that all the all the planet's animals are going to die because of us it's our fault oh how do we fix it who wants to take a guess how do we stop a million animals and plant a million animal and plant species from going extinct oh that's right climate change climate change legislation which is also a way to help struggling and minority and oppressed communities in this country it's just it's It's a a justification for everything, for all things. Climate change in the parlance of late 18th century France or early 20th century uh, Russia is the revolution. It's whatever they want it to be. It gives them the power to do anything that they seek to do. And if you stand athwart it, you are a threat. You are a counter-revolutionary. You are a bad person. You must be destroyed. Do you want a million animal and plant species to go extinct? Well, I hope not. The only way to solve it is to empower imbeciles like Ocasio-Cortez and Nancy Pelosi. Otherwise, you want all the animals and plants to die. They believe that this is, this is not what normal people would think about the world around them. This is the result of massive media propaganda and brainwashing and the rejection of reason and thought and science and the scientific method. That same ability to get completely panicked about the prospect of all species dying off because of us, because we're so terrible human beings, that same mentality is unfortunately tied to the Mueller report, which is even though it's not true, they still think there must be something there. It must be true. We'll be right back.
2: So our leader says, let's move on. It's sort of like Richard Nixon saying, let's move on
1: at the height of the investigation of his wrongdoing. Of course, he wants to move on. He wants to cover up. He wants to silence on one of the most serious issues we face. Chuck Schumer saying that McConnell is trying to engage in some kind of a a cover up here. Because because Cocaine Mitch, a.k.a. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, it's more fun to call him Cocaine Mitch. He said it's time to move on. This case closed. He's right. The case is closed. Two years thousands and thousands of pages of documents and the subpoenas and the hundreds of witnesses and all this stuff, Mueller went scorched earth, released this 400-page long anti-Trump editorial effectively, but it was not able to find a crime to charge. These are just the facts. And now Mitch McConnell's like, can we just please do other things in this country? And Chuck Schumer, because... He knows that a lot of his constituents, a lot of people unfortunately in my home state of New York have Trump derangement syndrome. They'll just ne- they'll never stop with this. They'll never give this up. They they think that Congress is going to or at least the Democrats in Congress going to get some degree of truth, some nugget that was missed by Mueller and his whole squad. This is absurd. This is absurd. But it's, it's like the absurdity of those who are calling for uh, Barr to be fired. They say that Mitch McConnell is part of the cover-up. They say that Bill Barr is part of the cover-up. Uh, they attack anyone who just says, you know, when, when is enough enough? I mean, here, here's, here's a montage. Democrats are not just content to try and drag the attorney general's reputation through the mud. They, like a bunch of, of screeching lunatics really do want at least from what they say to lock Barr up in prison which is just utterly absurd i mean just completely crazy town and it's not like one or two of them are saying it a lot of them are saying it play clip eight are you talking about just having him sit for a hearing or or locking him up somehow
5: uh you have to have him sit for a hearing and i think you have to have him locked up and unless he he agrees to participate and, and come to the hearing the
2: House and the Senate, each chamber, has an inherent power to compel a witness to testify if that witness just refuses, and that includes arrest and in, even includes jail. The House is powerless unless the House takes some action.
5: We have what's called inherent contempt proceedings, which means we send the sergeant of arms out to handcuff
1: the individual okay. who is declining
6: Who's to testify. Who's going to
5: well, I'm going to start with um, Mr. Barr. These are people who are
1: these are Democrats who are really saying they want to send the sergeant, uh, sergeant at arms in Congress to go arrest the Attorney General. Uh, no, no I, I understand that at some level this is just theatrics. This is for the people the the very very. Uh, simple-minded and easily brainwashed folks who who watch MSNBC constantly, who think that they're getting objective. It's one thing if you watch MSNBC and you realize that you're watching left-wing propaganda. At least you you have some self-awareness. But there are a lot of people who watch MSNBC and think that it's objective news. And I feel bad for them because their understanding of politics and the world around them is deeply unsophisticated. They think they're really sophisticated, but they are not. But here you have people that are pandering to that unsophisticated but very self-righteous crowd of, of MSNBC true believers by saying that they're going to they're gonna try to lock up the attorney general as if that wouldn't create a constitutional crisis. You know, th- the, same, the same Democrat left that has been whining about the undermining of institutions for the last two years, just as, as a favorite talking point, you know, they just, they, they try to make it sound like they're the only people who care about the institutions of government. Uh, oh, until it comes to election results they don't like. Then, it, you know, the Georgia election was stolen, the North Carolina election was stolen. All these elections are stolen, stolen, stolen that they don't win. The 2016 presidential election stolen. You'd think that maybe that in and of itself would constitute some kind of undermining of our institutions, like the institutions of our election. But, you know, Democrats, come on. We're not looking for consistency with them. We'll be looking all day, my friends. It's not, we're not going to find it. But they want to throw the Attorney General in jail. Why, you might ask? Because he won't sit there and allow them to engage in the obvious shenanigans of having staff attorneys cross-examine the Attorney General of the United States. That's right. That's what they think that should be done here. You have a bunch of lawyers, these members of Congress, they're almost all lawyers. Like 70% of the ones who sit on the uh, Judiciary Committee uh, are lawyers. And they won't do the questioning themselves. They want to have somebody else do it for them. They want to do that because they want it to seem like a criminal proceeding and Barr is a defendant in that. Uh, they can't beat Barr on the merits, so now they're just trying every every campaign of insinuation, slander, sliming. Uh, th- their conduct on this is is utterly disgraceful. Um, and, and they're, oh, we we actually have Mitch McConnell on what he thinks about all this. And why they're going after Barr. Chuck Schumer got all upset about what Mitch McConnell said. Let me play for you what Cokie and Mitch had to say. Play seven.
6: It's now been more than six weeks since special counsel Bob Mueller, the former FBI director, concluded his investigation into Russia's interference in our 2016 election and delivered his findings to the Justice Department. It's been two weeks since Attorney General William Barr made the 450-page report, public. This investigation went on for two years. It's finally over.
1: Case closed. All right? It's time for this thing to be done. They said there was a conspiracy. Now they're going after Barr because he's a convenient target. It's more than he's a convenient target. They're going after Barr because they have to run interference for the little Democrat deep state clients who were the ones that generated this whole conspiracy in the first place. They're the ones that created this whole narrative. They're the ones that came up with this Russia collusion fantasy. And the inspector general report from within the Department of Justice, I think, is going to show that some of these people were just way outside the bounds of, of uh, what, what is ethical, given the power they have. I'm not, See, notice how I'm not telling you they're going to go to prison. Very hard. You know, prosecutors... FBI agents, they can engage in a lot of really poor conduct. And the worst thing that will happen is they'll get fired. For prosecutors, it's usually not even that. Prosecutors, there's so little oversight of what federal prosecutors do and and their decision-making. But even within the FBI, within those federal bureaucracies, you can can mess up and then some, and they're not necessarily going to come after you with anything other than a possible suspension, maybe a firing. Very unlikely. I think you'll see anyone go to. I know other people will tell you, oh, Comey's going to jail. And no, I don't think so. I don't think it's going to happen. Comey's going to look really bad on this whole process. But the attacks on Barr are meant to prepare the battleground for when Barr is releasing or as attorney general is at a press conference and talking about the inspector general report and what is in it. And it's going to look really bad for Democrats. And it's going to look also terrible for the media in that the members of the media were so willing to go along with this, especially in the early stages, this crazy Russia collusion story and use all this pretextual nonsense about Papadopoulos and Carter Page as as evidence in this conspiracy, as as evidence to present to the FISA court, but also as evidence to present the public in all these different news articles. Just absurd. Absolutely absurd. It should be case closed. But because the Democrats just can't let it go, we're going to have to continue to talk about this. But we will continue to fight them, my friends. Don't worry about it.
4: Obviously border security is top of mind for this president. Since January, Democrats are now 17 points more likely to refer to what's happening at the southern border as a quote crisis. Remember that it was in January that Schumer and Pelosi went on primetime television following the pre- the president's oval office address and said this is a manufactured crisis. So border security top of mind but also, uh, the president will be considering a merit-based immigration system. He put the president put together a 70-point plan and submitted it to Congress in October of 2017. So, anybody who seems surprised that this president wants to end the visa lottery system, end chain migration, have a merit-based immigration system, a deal with DACA as he can, and certainly continue. To so that's on the table.
5: So DACA will be on it the could table. Be. Okay. I don't want to get
4: ahead of it, but it could be. We'll see.
1: Trump better be careful in these negotiations over immigration because the Democrats have no good faith whatsoever on this issue. They do not want the same thing that the rest of the or that a majority of the American people want. They aren't looking for a a border that is secure, that does not allow the continued influx of illegals, that does not reward people for crossing in massive numbers illegally. We're not trying to achieve the same thing. This is is absolutely central. It's fundamental to understand this. On a lot of policy issues, the Democrats and the Republicans are separated by the means to achieve the same end. On this issue, on immigration, we no longer differ on the means. We differ on the ends. We don't want the same goal. We don't want the same immigration reality. And so when Trump is talking about or when the administration, that was Kellyanne Conway, is discussing what Trump would be willing to uh, budge on or what's on the table, I, I, I get it. He's a negotiator. He wants to make his pitch, but he needs to be very careful. I'm Don't get mad at me, but St. Reagan, wonderful man, wonderful president, got swindled, got swindled with an amnesty back in 1986, I think it was. Millions of people amnestied, no real improvements to border security, nothing in terms of the verification and enforcement measures for those that were possibly covered by the amnesty. And they were still hearing amnesty cases as of, I think, 2010 or 2011 from that initial amnesty in the 80s. Right, everyone's like, oh, yeah, I should have been covered by that. Now let me have a, you know, a lawyer appointed to rep, you know, represent me in court. It's just this is what ends up happening. Democrats just want amnesty. They'll say anything to get there because everything else is negotiable. Every other aspect of the border can change. They they want amnesty and they don't want a wall because tearing down the wall, that might be tough. That's a tough sell. Yeah, we just built this wall. Now we're going to tear it down. That that wouldn't be an easy thing for Democrats to pull off. The optics of that are not strong. But yeah, I think that Trump Trump's going to have a tough time here. Democrats don't want to be working with him on anything with regard to immigration. They want this to be a major issue going into the midterms, uh, or or rather the uh, presidential election, not the midterms. New York Post has an interesting piece here. Speaking of the border, Central American migrants have Mexico facing a border crisis of its own. Hmm. This is in Ciudad Hidalgo, Mexico. I know I do not. I took French, not Spanish, so don't make fun of my... Tijuana? I know it's Tijuana. Got to say it like that. Tijuana. When the migrant caravans cross the Suquiate River, an international bridge from Guatemala, Aiden Lopez springs into action in this steamy tropical city. He shuts down his shop and takes cover. Like many merchants along Mexico's southern border, Lopez says his business is suffering due to a recent escalation in crime committed by migrants. Many are calling for the Mexican government to shut its doors. Lopez owns a stall selling blue jeans in this city of nearly 15,000 people on the southern tip of Mexico. Since last October, thousands of mostly Central American asylum seekers have overwhelmed the city, which is just steps from a bridge uh, connecting Mexico to Guatemala with no other place to go. Many camp out in the town square and beg, quote, we know they are not all bad people. But when they started to come through, there were a lot of robberies and assaults, Lopez told the New York Post here. So now we get a multitude crossing. We just close the shop. Wait a second. I I'm. I thought that these, this is all in this New York Post piece by Isabel Vincent. I, I thought that the migrants were better than Americans. I thought that they were going to just do the jobs we won't do, work harder than we work, be more law-abiding than we are. This is what we're always told. This is what the Democrats consistently say about, Migrants that come across the border illegally, that come as part of these caravans, that they're amazing and we we are deficient because we do not understand how amazing they are, even though they're breaking our laws, even though we are not supposed to uh, bring in 100,000 illegal crossing, uh, illegal crossers a month. But where is the Trump administration on this? What are we going to do about this? Um, the money that they're talking about moving to the border is just going to grease the wheels of of process. Uh, The the only area where I've started to see some real movement that I think could be helpful, it could be useful to securing the border, is in stricter enforcement, uh, stricter enforcement of credible fear claims. That may actually be worthwhile. That has the possibility, I think, of starting to turn back this this tidal wave of people coming to the country illegally, uh, essentially just make, make it harder for them to get through and lie. That's all it is. That in and of itself, I think, would really be uh, powerful. Here it is. U.S. asylum screeners to take a more confrontational approach, internal documents show, as Trump aims to turn away more... Migrants. Oh, because Trump is such a big meanie, they want you to know. He's so mean. That's why he's doing this. <clears throat> Meanwhile, he's trying to reestablish any kind of security at the border. It's the Washington Post. The Trump administration has sent new guidelines to asylum officers, directing them to take a more skeptical and confrontational approach during interviews with migrants seeking refuge in the United States. It is the latest measure aimed at tightening the nation's legal, quote, loopholes. Homeland security officials blame for a spike in border crossings. According to internal documents and staff emails obtained Tuesday by the Washington Post, the asylum officers will more aggressively challenge applicants whose claims of persecution contain discrepancies and they'll need to provide detailed justifications before concluding an applicant has a well-founded fear. That's right, credible fear, folks, might have to actually be credible fear. Oh, wow, you mean it will no longer just be I am scared in my country of the people coming for me. Like They're robotically reading this crap that is handed to them by the different pro-migrant groups that are involved in all this, by the coyotes, by the smugglers. They're told what to say. We know they're economic migrants. We know they're not fleeing political or religious or ethnic persecution. They're not asylum seekers. They're liars. Not all of them, but... 90% plus of them who are saying they have a credible fear are lying about it. Okay, let's just be honest about this. Just living in Honduras does not mean you have a credible fear of persecution. Just being from the country of El Salvador does not make you an asylum seeker. And if it does, we need to be opening up our doors to those entire countries, which we're getting pretty close to doing these days, it feels like. Trump administration's right. Tighten things up, enforce the rules, make it harder, secure the border. They're moving in the right direction. Might be too little too late.
4: In terms of owning the center ground, I think the center ground can be owned by the left. Whether it's raising the minimum wage, securing Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. Redefine what the center is and don't let them define our agenda as something that is far left. Trump is goading us to impeach him. That's what he's doing.
1: <laughs> this is so perfect. I mean we pull those two little sound bites for you together. On the one hand you have Nancy Pelosi, you know the, the the left is really the party of the center you know Democrats, the progressives. we can own the center. but I mean Trump is just begging us to impeach him. am I, am I right? Am I right? <laughs> She's amazing folks. She's amazing. Just say whatever she has to say. No, no ethical, moral or ideological core. Just whatever she needs to say, whenever she needs to say it. Moral relativism, statism, big government. These these are the closest things that she has to organizing principles for her ideology. And and, and atop all that, of course, is the the uh, the glory of Nancy Pelosi. But whatever she has to do to maintain her privileged position in society very wealthy very powerful very connected uh, but i love this you know yeah democrats we're we're totally reasonable trump is begging us to impeach him though <laughs> i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure that trump is not goading them to uh to impeach him i'm pretty sure that they have decided to embrace a, a trump derangement syndrome that does feel and does does appear to be uh, truly pathological. But speaking of pathological, there there is a a kind of multiple personality disorder that is on display with Democrats over the issue of impeachment. Depending on the day, you have Democrats who say, "Well, we have to impeach him," and then you have Democrats who say, "We're waiting for the evidence," and then you have others who say, "We'll have to give up on impeachment because it's going to blow back on us." The political. Ramifications are not worth it. I I, I just wish you know th- they would get on the same sheet of music for a few days instead of all here. You know, people say buck, but they're politicians. They have different opinions. Or no, no, no. The whole point is that they're speaking with many mouths about this issue because it's just bizarre. It's absurd. So they want to have some people saying. Oh no, we're going to impeach him. So that that makes the left wing base happy. They want some people who are saying, "Oh, we're going to wait and see what the evidence is." That's where the the Trump deranged, but not completely insane. They they are more comfortable with that. And then the hold on a second, you know, maybe we shouldn't go completely all in on this idea of impeachment uh, because it's going to blow back on us politically. That's for the Democrat establishment that realizes. If Mueller couldn't deliver them the big win that they wanted, there's no way. No way. Impeachment is going to do that for them. They keep stri- striving, struggling, begging, scratching, clawing for some one thing. You know that that one coup de grâce. Or is it a coup de grâce? I think it's coup. That that one f- master stroke, that one moment of aha where trump's presidency is finished and it's just not gonna happen and i have to wonder when they when they will realize it's not gonna happen i guess it'll be when trump wins re-election then then there'll be some at least a few hours of oh wow this is real again but on on the impeachment issue I mean, do we do we have elizabeth warren elizabeth warren She was really annoying me today. We got to get some, you know, Elizabeth Warren has been saying annoying things about this. Beto O'Rourke is running around desperate to try and get some attention for himself. Because, like, apparently my home videos and my rolled up sleeves and my sort of rugged Kennedy-esque handsomeness is not enough to make me president. Uh, He he says that we're at the must impeach. Trump phase. We, we must do this. Uh, play clip 12. To invite a
3: foreign power to participate in our elections, to obstruct justice and cover up during the investigation. There must be consequences. There must be accountability. We must get behind the House of Representatives if they pursue
0: impeachment as president
1: must pursue impeachment of this president. Does Beto ever have to explain, what's this Trump invited a foreign power to participate in our election? I don't remember that, Beto. Is that because he, he made a joke about Russia? If you have the Hillary emails, let us know. Keep in mind, they're always hoping that nobody will do the due diligence and the research to separate these things out. Russia never did have the Hillary emails. Russia hacked into the DNC servers and Jod Podesta's emails. And release some of those through WikiLeaks, but they never got Hillary's emails. The people who say that, oh, but they they were acting on Trump's orders. No, they weren't. And these were rumors that were flying around all over the place. Invited a foreign power to participate in our election. Oh my gosh. These people really, I I would say they need to get out more, but Beto's out all the time. He's running around doing this kind of on the road Jack Kerouac thing where he's just traveling all over the place and trying to get attention for himself. You know, I'll tell you, I knew Beto wasn't going to be the guy. Although I, I, for a moment, thought that the Democrats were so in love with him and so delusional that nothing could nothing could dissuade them. Uh, there was a moment in time where, because everything about him was defying gravity and reality. But when he did that, that totally dumbass video of himself getting his teeth cleaned, he was like,
2: you know,
1: he's in the dentist chair, the whole thing, and get, who is this guy? Why, why would anyone think this is a good idea? And and how could anyone expect us to want to give them the nuclear codes when this is their version of a judgment call? Um, Representative Al Green, I would note, is also in the impeach, impeach, impeach side of things. Play thirteen
5: are you concerned that impeachment talk may actually help the president's re-election?
3: I'm concerned that if we don't impeach this president, he will get re-elected.
1: <laughs> so he takes, you know, Democrats can't can't seem to figure it out. Is is it that if they impeach him, he will get re-elected? He won't get, you know, there's, they have no idea. This is all, it's all just political. It's all nonsense. This is their obsession. They want to keep talking about this. They're desperate to make it seem like there's more at work here than the most uh, obvious partisan nonsense. You know that this is about the d- defending our democracy and about protecting our core institutions. And I'm like, come on. No no serious person believes this. Nobody really thinks this is the case. But I guess some Democrats are, are wacko enough at their um they're on this one, man. They're they're deciding that this is what they're gonna this is what they're gonna do. And then they got Joe Biden out there. They got Joe Biden leading the charge right now. I just I, I know I've been saying it, but I don't see it. I don't think Uncle Joe's got the goods. I don't think he had them then. I don't think he has them now. I think he's a guy who has gotten very lucky in his political career, got him in the right place at the right time. And his clinging to the legacy of Barack Obama—it's going to get old. People are going to realize that this isn't this isn't enough. Uh, talking about his buddy Barack is not going to sell people on why he should be the next leader of the free world. Play clip four.
2: I watched my buddy Barack stand up there. I watched him talk, and he talked about we have to find that amazing grace. But right, by the way, there is amazing grace in this country. We just have to reach out and pull it in. Folks, above all else, we must defeat Donald Trump.
1: Above all else, he says, we got to defeat Donald Trump. That's going to be his pitch. He's going to say he's electable. Now, I'm just putting this out there for the Democrats who are listening in the audience. What was the Hillary Clinton pitch again? Oh, that's right. That above all else, if you wanted to beat, if you wanted to beat Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton was your choice. How did that work out exactly? How did the super establishment insider, boring, uninspiring Democrat candidate to defeat Donald Trump in 2016, how'd that go? Oh, that's right. They had to cook up a whole crazy person story about Russia collusion to explain the loss. Uh, I'm telling you, China collusion 2020, when Biden loses, it could happen. You know, people say, well, Joe, how are you going to do all this? Well, guess what? First thing I do is going to repeal this Trump tax cut. Well, oh, not a joke. Not a joke. <laughs> Biden's like, I, you know what, everybody? I don't, I don't think you should like this great economy. I don't think you should be excited about what's going on in America right now. I, I, I think we need people making less money. We need higher unemployment. We need things to stop going so well. Hey, Joe Biden, blue collar Joe, sharing you his wisdom for the day. Oh man, uh, the the Democrats. Yeah, I'm not the uh, I'm not a lone voice in the woods anymore with Democrats who are realizing this guy's got weaknesses, folks. This is not it's not going to be enough to beat Trump. When you line up uh, Biden and Hillary, you know Hillary had the whole woman thing going for her. Uh, had a you could argue certainly a more distinguished track record. Uh, I don't know if I wouldn't say successful, but you know, with her whole Secretary of State run. I mean, look, they're, they're comparable. I mean the resumes are, are comparable. They're both creatures of public life for their whole lives. But Hillary had the whole glass ceiling thing and the Clinton establishment around her. and I, I, I think that you could make a case that she was a, she was a stronger establishment candidate against Trump than Joe Biden would be. And Democrats are starting to figure that out. And that's why when they're saying things like, the first thing I'm going to do is repeal those tax cuts, why are people cheering for that? They really want to give more of their money to the government? Who who wants to do that? I, I never come across people who really think that that's a good idea uh, in real life. But conceptually, you know, theoretically, that other people would be paying more in taxes is somehow exciting to them. I, it just it strikes me as very... A oh, very uh, odd mentality that Democrats have, but it's worse than just bad ideas that they are repackaging. The Democrats will never give up on you know higher taxes is better. Well, it turns out it's not better for you as an individual, and it's not better for economic growth. So it's not better overall. Government is incredibly wasteful. Government should not be taking more money than is absolutely necessary to run its very limited me- and and constitutionally secured mandates like national defense and you know there's there's only a few things the government should really be doing but we do a whole lot more now but what what concerns me is that you have joe biden getting all this establishment attention and then on the other side you have these these establishment candidates that don't really seem to get the same degree of support from the dnc and you know the media likes them but they haven't yet fallen in love with them and they're moving further and further left with ideas that aren't just you know raising my taxes is annoying raising my taxes is something that the democrats want to do that would bother me and should bother you too they're going if you pay taxes more or less there's some exceptions to this uh, you got a tax cut so if you are a taxpayer it is there's an 80% chance that you got a tax cut because of Trump. Democrats want to take that away. But I I can handle that. I I don't approve of it. I think it's a bad idea. Uh, But it doesn't really put me on edge. Some of the other things you're hearing from these left-wing candidates or these candidates that are trying to appear more left-wing, that's really what's going on, appear more left-wing so they can appeal to the progressive base that they need in order to gain enough numbers and enough support to come out of this primary. People like Cory Booker or like, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren. Uh, Cory Booker on guns is concerning to me. There's a, a, an authoritarian statism that is at the heart of, of his appeal on guns. Uh, this is CNN asking Cory Booker about what the consequences would be for the, they would say a buyback program. Remember, a buyback program when it comes to guns is mandatory confiscation with whatever fee they decide to give you which you know for in a lot of cases is not going to be the fair market value of the gun so it's really a confiscation with some you know minimal compensation oh and by the way if you just don't want to go along with this they'll throw you in prison cory booker was asked about this here's what he said play two the critical thing is i think most americans uh, agree
3: that these weapons of war uh, should not be on our streets. But, again. But some... would,
1: you, would you prosecute people? Do you support the government buying them back? And if not, potentially people could go to jail if they don't want to sell them back, yes or no? A-
3: again, we should have a law that bans these weapons, and we should have a reasonable period in which people can turn in these weapons. Uh, right now, we have a nation that allows, in streets and communities like mine, these weapons that should not exist. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, let's let's unpack there what he says. Because it's quite clear to me that the answer that he's giving is, oh, yeah, no, we're going to lock people up for their lawfully purchased and currently possessed firearms. We're going to lock people up for that. He says there should be a reasonable period in which they can turn in these weapons. Okay, what if they don't turn them in? What if they don't want to turn them in? What if this is their private property that they lawfully obtained and that the Second Amendment guarantees their right to continue to own? They are weapons in common usage. So they are covered under D.C. v. Heller. What happens to those people? You pass this law, you give the time period, what if they don't do it? A law without a penalty rapidly ceases to be a law at all. Cory Booker knows this, and that's why Cory Booker wants you to know, although he won't come out and say it, that he would be comfortable. Oh, that's right, separating families. Because that's what happens when you lock somebody up because they have a semi-automatic rifle that they are legally allowed to own until Cory Booker and the progressive Democrats come along and pass some sort of assault rifle ban. All the data shows that the assault assault rifle ban was effectively irrelevant, did nothing in terms of dropping violent crime, uh, was annoying to people, though, and was an infringement on their Second Amendment rights. This phrase they use, weapons of war, is such an idiotic phrase A weapon of war, I mean, you you think about some of the weapons that are in common usage, you say, well, of course they're used in in warfare. And ultimately, that is the point. The point is, and this is where liberals get really uncomfortable, if we needed to wage an insurrection against a tyrannical government, we would be in a position to do so. So that's why, yeah, we don't want muskets. We we want semi-automatic rifles. We want handguns. We want things that would be useful in the context of a defense against tyranny as well as self-defense and defense of one's home and property. But weapons of war, they make it sound like they're talking about Stinger missiles. They're talking about semi-automatic rifles that have you know, a folding stock. But ultimately, Cory Booker is willing to throw you in prison if you don't do what he wants on this. Just remember that. Democrats are all about smiles and the little guy and the poor guy and all that nice stuff. Until it comes to guns, they think guns are icky and gun owners should go to prison. They're okay with that.
2: For many years, countries have been taking total advantage of the United States on trade. Whether they're allies or not, they looked at us really as a bunch of very soft touches. And that's not what's happening anymore. We've placed massive tariffs on China, and the tariffs have really had a positive impact. Number one, our country's taken in a lot of money. Number two, we're creating jobs like never before, So it's very important that China open its markets to our farmers and everybody else, because right now they're closed largely, and yet our markets are open to them. We're changing things, and we're changing them fast.
1: How fast are we changing things? And how are we doing in this trade negotiation with China? There's supposed to be a big deadline on Friday. We've got our friend Gordon Chang back in the house, everybody. He is the author of The Coming Collapse of China. You can also go to GordonCChang.com for his latest analysis. And you see him a lot on Fox and pretty much every news network out there. Gordon, great to have you on, sir. Thank you so much, Buck. So, Gordon, how are things How are things looking for this trade deadline on Friday? How's the Trump administration handling all this? And what do you think the Chinese, what are they thinking right now about this whole trade deal?
3: I think Beijing is a bit in a panic um, because they're used to getting their way with American negotiators. Um, but President Trump has kept them off balance. I think that things look a lot better for us after Trump's tweet on Sunday, where he said he was going to increase the tariffs. Um, and that's what we absolutely need to do, because Beijing right now is not talking to us in good faith. Uh, Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, um, withdrew uh, commitments that his trade negotiators made to the United States. And those commitments were across the board. So right now, I don't believe Beijing is actually come to terms with the United States.
1: what should Trump do if in fact, as we go into friday I mean is is twenty five percent tariff on two hundred billion dollars of goods? you think that's the move?
3: Well that's the start um, If it were President Chang, the tariffs would not be twenty five percent they'd be two hundred and fifty percent or two thousand five hundred percent. Um, I would ban the importation into the U.S. of any goods that have benefited from the theft of U.S. intellectual property. And I would ban the importation of goods sold by any company that has stolen U.S. IP. Um, we need to be extremely tough on them. But uh, what Trump is doing is really moves in the right direction, um, because at some point, um, you know, the Chinese have to understand that they cannot use their traditional tactics against us and expect continued success.
1: How has the shift in trade policy from the Trump administration affected the Chinese? Uh, we always hear about the downside for our own economy from the mainstream media, uh, but it's been a rough year in China. And for people who pay attention to the markets, I think they're, they've certainly been seeing that. So, Gordon, how do, how do you gauge all this?
3: It has been a rough year. And right after the president's on Sunday, uh, you saw the Shanghai composite drop 5.6% or so. But more significantly, the Shenzhen composite down seven something, and the China X, which is tech heavy, that was down seven point nine percent one day um, so China actually I think is not doing very well um, in general, um, but the tr- and the trade war hasn't helped it um, but remember, China has structural problems on its own, and what trump 's actions are doing is sort of adding another level of um, insecurity to people in China. And and that's a good thing for us. Um, China right now is growing maybe one or 2% uh, in reality. It's not nearly the 6.4% that they claimed for the last quarter. And the most important thing, Buck, in order to get whatever growth they have, they're creating five and a half times as much debt as nominal gross domestic product, even if the uh, inflated GDP claims are accurate. Um, that's up from one and a half times from a year ago. That's really a sign of an economy in trouble.
1: What do you think the break, is there any realistic possibility of a breakthrough where all parties come away, if not happy at least, with the most constructive deal in place possible? I mean, all along, Trump has been hoping to get a deal with the Chinese. Is there any, uh, they've been getting away with a lot for a long time, the intellectual property theft you mentioned, predatory trade practices a lot of folks i know would argue they never should have been allowed in the world trade organization period but if the chinese finally succumb to the pressure the trump administration has put on them to establish a more fair deal are there is there a big upside for the chinese economy over the long run i mean you know well, what is the best case scenario out of all this is what i'm trying to get at
3: okay and from my perspective a best case scenario is no trade deal and we disengage from china we um, get our there um, and we go our separate way. And and the reason is that the Chinese are not leaving us any choice. I mean, they steal somewhere, I would guess, three to four hundred billion dollars a year in U.S. IP. Uh, if you disengage, you're giving them fewer opportunities to take stuff. Um, and also, the more you disengage, the fewer the opportunities they have to violate trade agreements with us. Um, but, you know, anything is possible, Buck. There, there could be an agreement. An agreement would be a great thing for China because what they're lacking right now is confidence in their own economy. And you're starting to see um, a number of manufacturers move um, their operations out of China because they're worried about geopolitical risk. They're also worried about other things. But one of the factors is geopolitical risk, and that is a trade agreement. You have a trade agreement. You reduce those concerns.
1: Trump administration is handling China the way that you would like them to, for the most part, Gordon. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think uh, the administration
3: is moving in the right direction. I, of course, would like to see it move faster, um, but, uh, you know, American uh, governments don't move that fast. But we're seeing, uh, um, I think, a political um, calculus across the spectrum of American politics that right now understands the threat that China poses And is actually, you know, we're moving in the right direction. So, for instance, you had Chuck Schumer talk about uh, supporting the president's policies on tariffs. That's a very good thing. We know the Speaker of the House um, doesn't like Beijing uh, for very good reasons. And so, clearly, Trump can put together a coalition here um, because people understand the China challenge.
1: How are we doing switching gears for a second to North Korea uh there have been some critics of the president who are saying, see, Kim Jong-un isn't doing what he said he would do. This they're already trying to declare failure on on the North Korea nuclear negotiations the Trump administration's engaged in. Where do you come down on that, Gordon?
3: Well, they haven't failed, but they are failing. Um we've got to remember, Buck, that nobody, nobody has ever enticed the Kim regime into good behavior uh, over the long term. Not the Chinese, not the Russians, not the South Koreans. Um, and this is exactly what Trump is doing. And, and matter of fact, this is what Trump said he was doing. At the Ottawa G7, just before the historic June summit last year with Kim Jong Un, um, President Trump said, look, I'm going to give Kim a quote unquote one-time shot. That's a one-time shot to do the right thing. Um, Trump wanted to make Kim feel secure enough so that he would give up his weapons. Um, but since, um, you know, that one-time shot started, Um, You know, we've seen Kim move in all the wrong directions. So I think it's time for the president to pivot, go back to the policies that made him successful, which were to really enforce sanctions in a way that made the the regime uh, in Pyongyang hurt.
1: Now, what should Trump do, given that there's this intransigence?
3: I think that we should, um, first of all, uh, go after the Chinese banks for continuing to launder money uh, for the North Koreans. Um, the Trump administration on June 29, 2017, designated Bank of Dundong a primary money laundering concern under the Patriot Act. That disconnected the bank from the global um, system because it could no longer transact business and dollar. That was a warning. We know that, uh, but Bank of Dundong is a real small institution. We also know that all of China's big four have been laundering for the Kim regime. And we should be imposing at least fines and maybe even disconnecting them from the global system. Um, that would be a warning shot that Beijing could not ignore. Um, we also need to go after the South Koreans for busting sanctions, as well as the Russians. You know, people violate sanctions because the U.S. is not stopping them. We stop them. Kim Jong-un is then forced to either keep his weapons or survive and in that case he's going to choose survival
1: all right everybody gordon chang check out his twitter handle gordon g chang on twitter and also GordonChang.com for his website gordon thank you so much thank you buck team we'll be right back ocasio cortez is in many ways in the vanguard of the democratic party some say she's almost the de facto spiritual leader of the progressive left She does a lot of social media stuff. She runs all over the place and takes these little homemade videos, puts them on Instagram, and they get millions of views. Well, in her most recent one, it seemed that she was, in fact, terrified by a garbage disposal. Play it.
4: I am told this is a garbage disposal. I've never seen a garbage disposal. I never had one in any place I've ever lived. It is terrifying. I don't know what to use it for or what its purpose is. Like, food scraps? Like, is this environmentally sound? I don't know.
1: Well, like, I'm pretty sure it's for the disposing of garbage, but we get into this some more. Ocasio-Cortez had a parody account of her, and she is hard to parody, so I give that person credit. Uh, It turns out that that parody account was recently banned from twitter so what are the rules here what do the social media czars in silicon valley get to determine and where should we go from here we've got our buddy will chamberlain on the line he is the publisher of human events he has some thoughts on these things Will, great to have you
6: i'm gonna be with you back
1: all right so now twitter is gonna ban parody accounts that are marked as parody i mean this this seems to be beyond farce
6: well, I mean, you got to realize that Twitter's principle here is not some consistent, broad application of a rule against parody accounts, but rather a particularly privileged interpretation of those rules that say that if you're a liberal and you parody a conservative, well, that's just fine and dandy. But if you're a conservative and you effectively parody a liberal, well, that's that we just can't have that, can we? So that's the real yeah, dynamic. The,
1: the double right. standard is is obvious in many ways. But you know, what I want to ask is. What should the standard be? You know, David French over at National Review put out a piece today where he's essentially imploring these Silicon Valley social media giants to voluntarily adopt uh, viewpoint-neutral First Amendment protections via their platform. This sounds great to me, except there's no way they're going to do this.
6: Right. I mean, this this sounds like as likely to happen as the Democratic Party to decide to wholesale abandon. Uh, Planned Parenthood and embrace a pro-life position, uh, the, the people that he is appealing to are completely on the other side of the political spectrum than him and want him and his fellow travelers to lose elections. So to pr- try and persuade them that they should be viewpoint neutral is, is sort of a futile exercise. One should realize who one has the capacity to persuade. And in this case, uh, perhaps we do have the ability to persuade Silicon Valley of certain things, but only under duress.
1: What do you think we should do? I mean, the, the bias in social media is obvious at this point, And people who pretend that there isn't a, uh, an effort to silence, to punish, and to really downgrade in the national conversation conservative points of view, I, I think they're just being either dishonest or delusional. What do we do, though? I mean, in a world where Facebook is, and Twi- Twi- Facebook and Twitter alone are determining a lot of what people see, read, and hear— what's the answer for conservatives who don't want to live by these uh, very uh, biased and mercurial rules?
6: So so I have two core recommendations for conservatives generally and the conservative movement. So the first is a framing uh, recommendation. I believe we should be framing access to large social media platforms as a civil right, because in the same way that private discrimination was rendering the Constitution's commitment to the equality of people sort of a dead letter in the Jim Crow South in the 1940s and 1950s, and we needed federal law to fix that and make it so that stopped. I see a similar dynamic here, where in a world where the vast majority of serious political discourse occurs on major social media platforms, to make the underlying cultural commitment we have to free speech more than a dead letter we need to actually impose restrictions on social media companies. And the way to justify that is to say the right to speak on these platforms is a civil right and that private companies don't have, should not have the ability to violate it. So that's, that's part one. Um that's part two. The second, go, yeah, part two. Part two is we should be aiming to pass legislation at both the state and federal level where that creating essentially a consumer protection law that says something along these lines. If Facebook or Twitter bans you for lawful speech, then what you should be able to do is the very next day walk into a courthouse, get an injunction against Facebook or Twitter or Instagram that forces them to restore your account. In addition, force them to pay your attorney's fees and in further impose a further statutory penalty, right? I want to, this is a private right of action. I want to make it possible. So if you are, if you have your account wrongfully taken away from you by one of these companies, you can tomorrow go to court and a judge will give you an injunction forcing Twitter to give it back to you. Sounds
1: good to me. Anyone else on board for this?
6: <laughs> well, I think I'm the only person on the line, so I am firmly on board for my own idea.
1: No, I, I mean I mean anyone, I mean, is anyone else trying to support your idea here? Have you gotten it to anyone in Congress or other publications or other you know who, who, who else no, is we, on board?
6: So, I mean, the Ron Coleman, a lawyer on Twitter, was sort of the originator of the idea, especially of focusing on state consumer protection legislation. Um, You know, we the article that I first proposed this in, uh, you know, just came out two days ago. And so we haven't really gotten a full fledged movement behind the the legislative push yet. Uh, But that said, I mean, the 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 formulation of the right to speak on social media platforms as a civil right has gotten a huge amount of traction very, very quickly, um, Dinesh D'Souza picked it up on, on Laura Ingram's show. Uh, Paul Joseph Watson picked it up on his own YouTube. Uh, and since he was the person that was purged by Facebook and sort of the most recent catalyst for all this, um, that was a big deal, too. And, and Bronco, the cartoonist at legal insurrection, seems to have also picked up on it pretty clearly by posting a cartoon that analogizes the social media fight to the civil rights.
1: Now, no R- um, Raheem Kassam is, is a beloved member of this, uh, this circus that we run here called the Freedom Hut. Um, the Fox right. Exton Show, obviously, and and will you know? Therefore, as a as a human events person, you're also in the broader family. I just want to know what for all the folks listening. Tell me about. We got about a minute. What are you doing at Human Events, and why should folks go check it out?
6: So this is the oldest conservative magazine in the country, it started in 1944, and we've relaunched it. It was defunct for about five years. And we're bringing you, I think you should really go check out the website because I think you'll see it's different from anything else in conservative media. We are publishing beautiful, long-form, interesting, and thought-provoking articles uh, that I think you'll really get a kick out of and that will really make you think. So uh, that's the core of what we're doing. And and we're not trying to be clickbaity. You know, our core, the way we're trying to fund this is through memberships. And if, if you become a member, a founding father of Human Events, as it were, you can get access to a group chat with me, Amrahim Kassam, um, and others as well, where you can talk with us about what we're doing, how we're doing it, and what we're publishing. So, All right. I don't know.
1: Humanevents.com, everybody, event. check it out. Publisher, Will Chamberlain. Will, great to have you on, my friend. Come back soon. All right. Thanks, Buck. All we've got here is a bunch of protesters bunch of pseudo Christian protesters who've been out here shaming young girls for being here. Right. And so here's the deal. I've got a hundred dollars to anybody who will identify any of these three. So we're I'm going like to praying for babies. I'm gonna donate to Planned Parenthood. I'm going to donate to Planned Parenthood. So look, a bunch of white more. people standing up in front of a Planned how Parenthood how Christ- shaming I'm people. Really There's sorry. nothing Christian about what you're doing. I'm nothing Christian at all it. about what you're doing. Hi, nothing Christian or loving or godly about what you're
5: doing. So I've got a hundred dollars to anybody who will identify this. Rich, what makes you think that it's your job to tell women what's right for their bodies? And the truth is, I'm not really asking because I don't care. Shame on you.
1: Well, that was Pennsylvania State Rep Brian Sims, who not content merely to uh, harass an elderly woman who is exercising her First Amendment rights to advocate for the lives of the unborn outside of a Planned Parenthood clinic, but now wants to, uh, this guy wants to dox and is offering a bounty, offering money to people who, Uh, We'll dox some young people who are trying to also spread a message of life. Um, This did not go over well with people in the pro-life community, uh, rightfully so. And we're joined now by one person who is going to have some thoughts to share on the whole fiasco and also what really matters here. Lila Rose is with us. She is the founder and president of Live Action. Lila, thank you so much for giving us some of your time. Thanks
4: for having me, back.
1: So t- you are going to be engaging in a, a pray-in? What, what exactly is happening in response to what's gone on outside this Planned Parenthood clinic in Philadelphia where this elected official is verbally abusing people, being threatening toward people, putting it on his Facebook, putting it on Twitter, sharing it all over the place? You and other pro-life advocates are going to do what in response?
4: Sure. So we're going there to support the local community because – There have been wonderful folks in Pennsylvania who have been praying outside the Planned Parenthood there, and this one in particular, for years now, doing peaceful sidewalk counseling, trying to help women in need and support women with other options, but most of all praying. And that's what you see on the video. I mean, Brian Sims, this elected representative for the state house in Pennsylvania, is harassing a group of three teen girls and their moms who are praying peacefully and harassing, getting up in the face of an elderly woman holding a rosary praying, calling them bull- bullies, making fun of their 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 race, making fun of their prayer, c- calling on his followers to dox them, dox teen girls. And again, they just respond by praying. I mean, that's what they're there to do, to pray for an end to abortion. So Live Action will be going out there as well as other groups to support the incredible work of local activists who are peacefully praying for an end to abortion in Pennsylvania.
1: If anyone hearing this wants to join you, by the way, if they want to know where this is happening and how they can be a part of it. Where should they go?
4: Sure. So there's a, if you go to my Twitter feed, Lila Grace Rose, you can get information on the time and the address 11 a.m. on Friday morning at this Planned Parenthood. There's also a Facebook event that Live Action Aid is linked to. So if you are local in Pennsylvania and Philadelphia, please head over and join. Um, this is a prayerful protest. We are, We do not stand down to bullies, but we don't respond to bullying with bullying. We respond to it with love. The end game here, Buck, is to end abortion. It's to educate others about what abortion does and the violent act that it is. It's about advocating for other options for women and girls. It's about proclaiming that human beings have dignity and value i mean i would fight for the right to life of brian sims this representative just like anybody else and it's saying that bullying harassment doxing against those who are standing for life will not be will not be we will will stand up to it we're not going to back down and i'm excited To know that there are hundreds of people who are already saying you want to be there because people are passionate about this and they will not stand down. They will not stand down to bullies.
1: Lila, your group is obviously also very active in general in the uh, pro life movement. Tell me about the the latest from different state legislatures. I see here Georgia, I think, is the most recent one uh, that are either poised to or have already uh, signed a fetal heartbeat bill. What are these bills? What do they do? And and what do people need to know about this?
4: Sure. So this is a big deal. The heartbeat bill would ban abortions after the heartbeat can be detected of the baby by ultrasound. So that's about six weeks into a woman's pregnancy. This is a baby that is already beating. This is often before a woman even realizes she's pregnant. So it's amazing how early in embryonic development a child's heart begins to beat. And it's really exciting. Georgia is the fourth state now this year, Governor Kemp just signing this bill into law this morning, Georgia's state number four, so Kentucky, Mississippi, and Ohio have already passed their own heartbeat bills. This is a huge step forward for the pro-life movement and for human rights, because it's finally saying if you're a human with a heartbeat, you should be protected by law. It doesn't matter if you're inside the womb or outside the womb.
1: And how many states right now have already done this? And also, what's the opposition to this? I'm sure... That uh, Planned Parenthood and NARAL and and other groups uh, that defend abortion are mounting a a ferocious assault on these bills.
4: Yes, I mean, (laughs) ferocious is perhaps an understatement. Uh, You may have seen Alyssa, you know, actress Alyssa Milano and others pledging to boycott the state of Georgia and not do business in the state. You know, Hollywood will refuse to do business in the state if they pass this horrible law. I mean, that is the the reaction is boycotts. I mean, Hollywood is kind of good good riddance. I think Georgia is thinking because we'd rather protect life than court Hollywood actors. Um, But look, there are four other states that three other states have done this this year alone besides Georgia, and the laws have not gone into effect yet. They're set to go into effect in July. And part of this is because there are attacks and challenges made to the to the laws by NARAL, by Planned Parenthood, by pro-abortion justices or judges who do not want these laws to go into effect, who do not think the states have the right to do this. Of course, I think that the states absolutely have the right to protect human life within their jurisdiction. I think that's actually in the interest of the U.S. federal government to be concerned with the preservation of human life, it's securing a common defense. But because of Roe v. Wade and because of some of the subsequent rulings by the U.S. Supreme Court, that has really harmed the ability of states to protect children in the womb in their jurisdiction. So that's going to come, it's going to come down to the court's buck. And, you know, the way the Supreme Court is looking right now, it's really troubling. I mean, we need to, we need another seat on the court. I think that's not a, a far left pro-abortion ballot. Unfortunately, we have several of those on the Supreme Court right now. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out um, if this goes to the U.S. Supreme Court.
1: I don't know if you had a chance to hear this, uh, Lila. It's pretty self-explanatory, though. A former New York City uh, councilwoman, uh, Christine Quinn, was on CNN, a place that I actually used to also sometimes offer analysis and much much to my now shock and dismay. uh, But she she had this to say about what the truth is of of uh, infants in the womb. Please play the clip. When a woman gets pregnant, that is not a human being inside of her. It's part of her body. When a woman gets pregnant, that is not a human being inside of her. It's part of her body when all right so we get it I mean that's that's what that's what she said I yeah, it's hard to think of something that is more scientifically inaccurate. I mean, this is kind of like saying my head is my foot, but this is applauded somehow.
4: yeah, I mean. This is the leg they have to stand on, Buck. Abortion advocates, the ones who are really honest, admit it's a baby and we're just going to be okay with killing it. And those are some of the folks who are behind the New York law. And they were celebrating, I don't know if you remember, but they were celebrating lighting up the... Empire State Building in pink because they were so excited that abortion would now be legal through all nine months and even committing potentially infanticide on, on infants to survive abortion attempts. So when you hear this from some abortion advocates saying, well, it's not a baby and a woman isn't pregnant with a human being, she's pregnant with her own body. I mean, it's obviously ridiculous. It, it, it flies in the face of everything we know about the development of an embryo in the womb, how it's a unique, distinct individual life. We know that that's the fact open any biology book the problem with facts though buck is they have consequences and if we acknowledge that this is a human life then all of a sudden we have to ask the question of should it be okay to take that human life life away from them it should be okay to end that human life and that is exactly the pro-life pro-choice debate and unfortunately a lot of pro-abortion supporters i call them pro-abortion because i I don't actually think they're about choice but a lot of self-named pro-choice supporters they don't want to have that dialogue because they recognize that if you acknowledge it's a human life, all of a sudden, you have to be willing to say that some human beings don't matter, that some human beings don't have a right to live, that it's okay for older, stronger human beings to kill younger, weaker human beings. And that doesn't sound very good. So they're going to try to ignore that part of the discussion by just go flat out saying it's not even a human to begin with.
1: Lila Rose, founder and president of Live Action. Lila, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. All right, team. We'll be right back. I didn't talk at all about the Kentucky Derby, which happened over the weekend. My favorite thing are the cool names the horses have. Beyond that, I, I know almost nothing about horse racing. I've never even been to Louisville. I should probably go there at some point and check it out. Producer Mike, though, has some thoughts on this. He's way more into sports and just generally being American than me. Uh, Mike, what, what was the the controversy exactly?
5: So, yeah, the, uh, the winner of the Derby um, – the The original winner got disqualified for running into another horse, and this had never happened before. So they basically took his title away, and you know people were up in arms for many reasons. Um, and then the president tweeted about it and uh, said the best horse didn't win, and then that made it a, a major story. So I started digging in a little deeper and following it on you know the mainstream media, and the consensus of the mainstream media was that they got it right that they should have taken it away from him and given it to the, the second place source. And whenever the mainstream media says that they got it right, I tend to believe that they means they got it wrong. And I actually agree with, with Trump here that they, they should not have done it. And I, I think they, they should have given it to the original winner. Do you, do you ever go and uh, bet on the ponies <laughs> up in uh, wherever the nearest place is to yeah, bet on I the I actually have, and not recently. It's, it's a fun event, I've never been to the Derby. I go to the Belmont Stakes here in New York. And it's a blast to do, it's a lot of fun. Um, so it's definitely worth a day of going out and especially when it's nice out, but uh, I don't know too much about it. I just go to, you know, for the, uh, the cocktails and the fancy dresses and, and, you know, that stuff.
1: That sounds like a fun time to me. It it is. It's a lot. It's actually
5: a lot of fun. You brought another story to my attention and it,
1: it's about, uh, Trump wanting to, Explain this to me for people that are in the military service academies. Mm-hmm. They could go pro right away and then serve after their pro career. What's what's the significance here?
5: Correct. So yeah, if you're in you know Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and if you're in a sports program there, uh, the most notable example would be David Robinson, the basketball player. Um, he had to you know he was an outstanding player, an NBA legend. Now he's in the Hall of Fame. But I, when, I believe his nickname was the Admiral. Despite he never quite reaching the rank of Admiral, <laughs> exactly, he was the Admiral. Um, so, it, from a from a perspective, if you're an athlete, you know, and you really want to play pro, why would you go to a service academy if you have to, you know, you can't go play? You'd have to wait four years, do your time, and then go, and, it, and that, that hurts you, money-wise. So, the president today, I thought it was really cool. Um, he wants to make a waiver, so... Which will allow uh, military athletes to turn pro and then they can return and serve their time to the military after the pro career is over. Which, you know, on the surface is like, oh, that's pretty cool. But it's a really big deal for the, I think, the, our military academies when it comes to recruiting. They can now go out there and sell their school to the best athletes that in, in our nation. And you'll see more prominent, you know, m- imagine Army, Navy in the top 10 rankings in football or basketball. Um, I think that's great for our country. I think it's great for the students and, and the student-athletes.
1: Yeah, it sounds like a great idea to me. I don't, I don't see any... We actually have Trump talking about too. it if you want to hear it real quick.
5: What? Yeah, play it. Can I, call clip, can I call for a clip, Buck? Yeah, call for a... Bruce and Mike's for <laughs> that's clips right. now. I love it. Go for it. Hey, Mark, play clip 14.
2: I mentioned this to the coach, and it's a big deal. I hope it doesn't become the story, but it is a big story because I'm going to look at doing a waiver for service academy athletes who can get into the major leagues, like the NFL, hockey, baseball. We're going to see what we can do. it, And they'll serve their time after they're finished with professional sports. And that'll make things — can you imagine this incredible coach with that little asset? Because I would imagine that would make recruiting a little bit easier. Yes, sir. So we're going to, on behalf of the coach, who's a tremendous guy, we're going to look at a waiver for the service academies, they'll serve their time after.
1: I think it sounds good, right? Sounds like a cool idea to me. Thanks for bringing it to uh, the team's attention, producer Mike.
5: Amen. There we, we got go. it. That's what I'm here for. Good, thanks.
1: All right. <laughs> President Trump coming up with yet another way to just make things a little, make things a little better in this country, make America a little more great, uh, one, one little piece at a time. So we, we are going to go into a roll call here in just a moment, team. You know what that means. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. If you want to slip one in at the last second, we'll be right back.
3: Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call.
1: Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton to be in on the roll call. Such a fun thing. Such an easy thing to do. You're sitting around like, I would like to share my thoughts with people across the country. I have an idea. And that idea is going to be shared with Mr. Buck Sexton. And he will then share it with the world, or at least the world of Team Buck. Thomas kicks us off today. Hello, Buck. Listening to you yesterday talking about how the Democrats use lying to promote their agenda. Kind of reminded me of the Islamic concept of takiyya. I guess that is more common ground between the radical left and radical Islam. Interesting shields high. Thomas, for those who don't know, is referring to a precept within Islam that is taught in some Islamic jurisprudence, Some some folks who study Sharia uh they they promote this idea of takiya which is lying for the benefit of the faith so if you have to lie to infidels if you have to lie to nonbelievers, if it will benefit islam then you do that uh so it's that's what that's what takiya is and i think that libs do engage in a kind of form of takiya especially when it comes to the dishonesty uh, that they engage in around things like what their real policy goals are, what they're really hoping to achieve, etc. Now, next one up here we have Brandon, who writes, Hey Buck, if Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, suppressed the vote, he's the worst suppressor of all time because his policy as the Secretary of State of Georgia increased the rolls by 94%. Uh, Democrats like to complain about the time it took to vote in areas with a high black population. That's part of the suppression plan. They're not realizing that these polls are run by local governments, and those are mostly Democrat-controlled polling places. Brandon, what you are saying is true. The long lines in some predominantly black areas of Georgia that were cited as voter suppression efforts uh, were Democrat-controlled areas under local Democrat control, so... How that could be voter suppression, someone will have to try and explain to me, and then also the record voter turnout. Now, they would say, well, the turnout would have been even higher, but if somebody was trying to scheme a way to suppress the vote, don't you think that they would at least, especially somebody with the kind of power that Brian Kemp had, don't you think they'd be at least successful enough that there wouldn't be record high turnout? It's not a perfect argument, but it's an indicator to be sure. Roger writes, heard the show. I'll be waiting for a list of your friend David responds to you. Keep charging, Buck. Thank you on the uh, Israel book issue. Yeah, I, I don't have a great list of, of books on Israel. Uh, I really and I, I wish that I could just rattle some off the top of my head, but I wouldn't want to give you the first five things that pop up on Amazon. You don't need me for that. So usually when I recommend a book to you, one, it's something that I've read. And two, it's something that I highly recommend. I don't have one on Israeli history uh, specifically. And actually, I'm going to be flying. You know, next week I'm going to uh, China, as our president likes to say. And if any of you have any recommendations, I need to bring hard copy books because I don't want to bring electronic devices with me unnecessarily to China for obvious reasons. So uh, I'm going to bring hard copy books. If you have a book that you're like, Buck, this is the greatest thing I've read in a long time, nonfiction, please, nonfiction, Uh, feel free to send me your recommendations on Facebook. Uh, Let's see. We have Nathan who writes, hey, what's up? I've been listening to your show since the Saturday show on The Blaze. Well, Nathan, that means your original Saturday squad. O-S-S. And the fact that you can keep my attention almost daily through a three-hour show is a testament to your skills on the air. This is my first time writing in, but your appeals for some good workout music have finally motivated me to reach out. I have no idea what your range of favorite music genres are, but as a guy who works out three days a week and almost obsessively works on expanding his Spotify library, I thought I'd give you my two cents. Check out the artist Cartel, especially their album Cycles. Okay, energetic, but with actual music skills on display. Thank you, Nathan. I will check out Cartels. I think I've heard of them. I think I might know one or two of their songs, that I did like it, so I'm willing to go back and look at some more. P.S. from Nathan. As a guy who recently grew a beard, I have come to realize you can't please everyone with what you do or do not grow on your face. If You, you do you. At least you don't look like an adolescent when you're clean-shaven like me. Shields high. Nathan. Yeah, Nathan, the beard, I will tell you, I've had a few... A few ladies uh, who, whose opinions I respect, who have been very pro-beard, and I think they've, they've definitely tipped the balance in favor of the beard staying for a while. Um, also, I like it because it's low maintenance, and I don't have to think about shaving, which is kind of nice. And if it gets really hot this summer, I will unleash my bare skin face on the world, and hopefully that will be a little bit cooler as in temperature, not hip. Uh, Let's see here. James writes, stolen, ha, Hillary, you lost fair and square. I dislike Bernie Sanders, but Hillary stole the election from him. The left were trying to steal our chosen president who won fair and square by trying to impeach President Trump and create ways for unfair voting, like early voting and a holiday for voting, allowing employees to be able to leave for work, three hours, an idea in New York, that Cuomo wanted to do. They cry voter suppression, and if I can remember correctly, they tried to throw out President Trump in the trash, uh, throw out votes, rather, for President Trump the trash. Three words for Hillary and the rest of them. Get over it. Shields high. Trump will win again from WGY up in Cobbleskill, New York, or Cobleskill, New York. I'm not sure how I say that. Uh, you should visit upstate. Visit the baseball, uh, oh, baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York. We're only thirty minutes from there. Lots to do. Well, just want to say high five and a thank you to all of my wonderful folks up in the WGY area of uh, of upstate New York. I am a New Yorker, as you all know, so I have a particular fondness for anything New York related. I have never been to the Baseball Hall of Fame. I. I will keep my opinions about baseball to myself because I want I want you all to still be my friend and I don't want you to get mad at me. Thanks for writing in James. Pamela writes most of the complaints you just levied against Biden fit Donald Trump. I'm not a democrat, I am not a liberal, I am never Trump, ex-GOP, sadly too many bought the spin. Well Pamela, I I wish you would give me a a bit of the specifics of what the complaints I levied against Biden are when it comes to Trump. Um, You know, Trump isn't a career... Let's just start with this. Let's start with how Trump and Biden are different. Uh, Trump isn't a career politician. He's not a lifetime swamp creature. He has worked and very successfully worked in the private sector for many decades. He's built a globally recognizable Brand. He did inherit money from his father, but he did not inherit a global brand. He created that. Uh, he has been a very successful media personality in his own right. He, uh, let's see, ran on a campaign of some ideas that were his and really almost nobody else's in the in the Republican field, including things like building a wall and stopping Chinese predatory trade practices. Two areas where I would note he has been proven to be correct and the consensus in the Republican Party has been proven incorrect. So I what are you talking about? Do you think that Trump sniffs women's hair or touches them too much? Uh, I've never seen photos of Trump putting his hand in kind of weird places with young women in, in public. I've never seen that. I know there are accusations from some women against President Trump that he is uh, that he was uh, sexually aggressive with them. Uh, how much you believe them or not, I, I leave up to you. Uh, but there's not the same clear evidence of a weird, creepy behavior while a, remember, while also an elected public official with a lot of power. Uh, so I need you to tell me what the complaints are against Biden that also fit Trump, that he's that he says whatever to make anybody like him at any point in time. I mean, Trump says things that make a lot of people hate him. He said things that make a lot of the GOP hate him. He said things that created what is the Never Trump movement that continues to this day. I don't think he says whatever people will want to hear. Yeah, his supporters will want to hear it, but his supporters were not the Republican mainstream when he started it. So I I don't think it's fair to say that he was pandering to the GOP, quite the opposite. I think he was kind of a punch in the face to the GOP. But as you can see, Pamela, you got me thinking with your question. So I appreciate you sending it to me. Friday's quote, this is from Adam, was the late Alan Rickman as Hans Gruber to Theo. I think you should add that quote to your list intro for the show. Shields high. Theo, you wanted a miracle. I give you the FBI. Uh, Did I sound like Raheem Kassam there? Raheem has such such a fancy accent. It's a huge a huge advantage. We can't put too much Raheem on the radio because of his fancy British accent. I don't want you guys to say, Buck, you need a fancy British accent too. Uh, speaking of Raheem, Rain writes in, I love Raheem's guest hosting when he sat in for you. Great, great guest host. Brexit and UK goings on are important for us to hear about. Maybe interview Sargon of Akkad. You might like to chat with him about classical liberalism versus what the left calls it now. Um I don't know who Sargon is, so I'd have to figure this out. Is that a real, is is there a person named Sargon of Akkad? I learn something new every day. When someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes. Matt writes, hey, Buck, I lost track for you and your radio shows when you changed networks back around 2016. Been busy building a new family ranch, kind of got it rolling. Just thought I'd touch base, see how things are going, see if you're still on the radio. What network and all that? I'm not sure if you remember. I was listening from your days in the Freedom Hut at the Blaze. We chatted before. I called your show a couple times. Hope all's well. Matt in Texas. Um, there we go. Matt, man, well, you got through me on Facebook. And, yeah, you can listen to the show anytime. I mean, I'm on about 120-plus stations uh, across the country. You can listen on the iHeartRadio app. So, yeah, um, I think. I think you should definitely listen, my friend. Or you can just listen on the iTunes, on iTunes podcast. That's where a lot of, a lot of the cool kids listen these days, on the podcast. Yeah. So, uh, Matt, good to have you back, man. Original Saturday Squad. People that have been with, me, been with me from OSS days, that's like seven years now. It's a long time. Long time. All right, team. Speaking of seven years, more coming up tomorrow. Shields high.